How you doing? This is Sam Tolley. On this Manly Monday, it's going to be a different show, folks, unlike any I had before. My millennial son is going to interview his baby boomer father. have no idea what's coming my way, but let's get it on and let's find out. Truth. 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 Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. Are you God's man? Are you a saved man? Weren't you called to righteousness and holiness? It's time to step up. All of God's men must step up. We've laid back for far too long. We've avoided the fight. Now the enemy is strong. The sidelines, they are gone. And the battle lines have been drawn. This is a battle that starts on our knees or on our face if he's so pleased. God didn't call women to lead. Many called to take a stand. To stand for our families. To stand for our land. Many called to illuminate the way. Darkness must flee in the light of day. Men dedicated to him and him alone. Men who garner strength from his mighty throne. Oh, my brothers, it's time to stand. And when we stand, it won't be alone. Joining me this Manly Monday is my youngest son, Andrew George Tolley, better known to the world as Drew Tolley. And instead of me trying to interview folks today, the duties fall on him. And he's going to present what he has to say to me, and I'll try my best to answer it. Hey, let's not forget that. This was your idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's my idea, but uh, sometimes you got to wonder what you you asked for. I, I told you. Well, anyway, first of all, I want to give all honor to God. I appreciate you, Dad, for uh, for bringing me on, have this conversation. It's an honor for me because I've known you all my life. Um, I've known you as a husband. I've known you as a father. I've known you as, you know, in, even in work as a, a real estate commercial manager. Um, but even later on, I seen you graduate college then become an author. And now I see you doing theologian work where you're trying to mentor people even beyond your lifetime. And I've seen that, you know, so I appreciate you doing this for me 
and the rest of the family because even when you're no longer here, if you outlive or we outlive you, you get something to come back on and hear some of these answers that you're given from this interview. So I appreciate it even more than you doing this for whatever platform we're going to put this on. So I'm excited for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, when I was thinking about questions that I wanted to be able to ask you, mm-hmm. uh, I thought about him in a range of different ways. One way was being your son. You know, I've been your son all my life and I've been able to be blessed to have you in my home all my life where you were always inside of the home. It was never a time that mom was there and you weren't there. There was never a time that we needed or starved or we had some type of shelter or any kind of issue. So I really appreciate that from you now. But when I think about some of the conversations that we've had on the phone, it seemed like things weren't really like that for you growing up. So I, I, I wanted you to take me back to your childhood and, and talk about how was like, how was your childhood growing up and maybe stay within, you know, the times of, you know, four to maybe 12, somewhere around there. Like how was childhood in the home where you guys, you know, how were you guys financially? How was the relationship? Like, how was it at the home? four to 12 <laughs> just kind of you know for a frame around elementary school times well <clears throat> one of my earliest memories i don't know how old i was must have been a couldn't have been more than four or five if i was that i remember i had a bike the old man gave me a bike and i didn't know how to ride the thing um I think I jumped off of it and messed up the back of my foot. I think it was after they took training well wheels away. And for some reason that that memory just came to me when you mentioned it, but uh unlike you unfortunately I didn't have both parents at the house all the time. Um when I was a young kid the old man left. I called him the old man, my father. Um he say within Pasadena, we lived in Pasadena, but <clears throat> for the most part, it was a back and forth relationship. And after a while, uh, he was gone. Um, I would still see him, but um, we didn't live together. And I didn't have that relationship, whereas he would mentor me or teach me or I grew up um, learning how to be a man under his stewardship. And it was a difficult life. We were poor. We were on welfare. Um, one of the reasons why I talk a lot these days about the the welfare life that many people are experiencing is because I lived it, and how um, the Johnson's war on poverty um, really uh, decimated the black family. Now I'm not going to sit over here and blame Johnson. Uh, or the Democratic Party for the deficiencies of my father. Uh, from from what I believe that if he would have stepped up and did what he was supposed to do, um, many of the problems that I had to deal with growing up or and my siblings, we wouldn't have had to deal with. Now, well, everybody has to deal with stuff. But uh, one of the things in that welfare society was when families were in difficulty, they made it so we will give money uh, 
We will give food stamps or whatever. We will help if the man is out of the house. So there wasn't an encouragement to keep a family together. The encouragement was if there's no man in the house, we'll provide for the, the woman and the children. <clears throat> and if the woman received more children, which if you think about it, how is that supposed to happen with no man in the house? But everybody knows how it happens. She would get more money. So it sort of helped change uh, the society into a more of a matriarch society. Like right now, where particularly with the black family, I, I believe before the, the welfare system became the parent, uh, the black family was, it was more like 75 or 80% where there was a man and a woman in the house. You know, <clears throat> I'm talking about under Jim Crow. I'm talking about under segregation and stuff like that. Whereas now it's about 25% of the black family has just a man and a woman in the house. I mean, it's a rare commodity these days. But so like I said, I can't, I can't speak for everybody and I'm not going to blame all that on the welfare system. I think my mother was too immature uh, when she got married. And I think the old man uh, neglected his responsibility. He should have did. He should have stuck in there and did more and been there regardless of the cost. That That is my thought. And so, you know, I had to just grow up in that circumstance. So you're the oldest boy of nine. You have an older sister, and then all the other brothers and sisters are all younger. There was six boys and three girls. Yeah. So six boys, three girls, oldest is your sister, and then everybody else. Yeah. So was there a, a sense of dad isn't home? Or was this like a normal thing where it's like, oh, well, this is just kind of how it is. We this is this is the way that we live. Like, was there was this did it feel normal? Like, did you I see other was families? A, I think it had morphed into a normal thing. I don't think that you were, were expecting it. Now, I mean, I remember, I can't say when, maybe I was around 10 or 11, because I remember him staying with us when Kennedy was assassinated. And I remember, uh, and I was, uh, I think, what, in 62? No, 63. So I was by 11. <clears throat> And, um, but I remember, I remember one Christmas, um, when I was still believing in Santa Claus where I saw him come in and bring stuff. So, uh, but after a while, uh, you know, he was gone for good. I mean, they, they used to fight, um, sometimes physically, um, and it, whatever the thing was, once he was gone, then it, it just became a normal thing. So you, you go through that, and when you end up going to school, was this something, was 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 being impoverished or poor, were your friends also impoverished or poor? Were they, were they different classes? Did you not know how much they made? Like, how was your friend group in school, and what socioeconomic class were they in? Most of my friends, um, well, in that day and age, I think everybody had a large family. There were at least seven folks, pretty much to everybody I knew as far as kids in a household. There were some where there was only a mother, but there were many more of my friends that had a father at home. So I had several friends that had fathers 
at at home. Um, I I suppose there were folks that were, you know, not as you know worse off or as bad off as me, but I would think most of them were a little bit better. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to make myself sound like I was just <laughs> totally in the toilet. I did I didn't sleep on the street or nothing like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But we we lived in many different places. We moved around a lot. It was I didn't grow up in the same household. Yes, yeah, I, I asked these questions. I talked to you about this before. I asked these questions because how you said that the father ended up getting kicked out the home and you grow up in that kind of environment. And, and I didn't grow up in that type of environment. By the time, you know, when I was growing up, you were always in the home. Mom was always in the home. And then I grow up in that environment. But when I go and play football with other kids, they don't have a dad at home, you know? And so I remember for myself to feel like I got to fit in. I had to almost act as if I didn't have this this family structure at home because you would get teased and so i'm that so i I was asking because i want to see how that affected you because and how your time period of kicking the dad out the home that brought these new families in my time period and how i was affected by their families so i was kind of asked you based on that that's why i was asking well i remember when you told me several years ago something that shocked me and you you told me that i think you were in uh middle school uh was it middle school yeah i think it was middle school and you said your friends talked about you because you had a mother and a father in the house yeah and when you told me that i mean you're a grown man then you never told me that when you were a kid and i and i i told you i said i wish you would have told me that then and i said the only reason why they talked about you is because they wish they had what you had. And uh, because it's God's plan that a man and a woman come together and they make a family and they raise the children. And based on my life experience, I didn't want anything, if it was within my power to do with not being there for my children. Now, um, as you know, your older brother, I was um, I, I was married to his mother, and, and, and it didn't work out. You know, I tried, but it didn't work out. And you had an older sister before him, and when I was young, dumb, and crazy, and I never married her, his mother. But when I I had set out, I had always set out not to emulate the lifestyle that I grew up in. And uh, so therefore, once your mother and I got together, we, we purposed to live a normal life as possible. And I never could understand why anybody would not stay there and do whatever they could do for their kids because kids didn't ask to come there. And it was the parent's responsibility to try to be there and parent those kids until they're grown. Now, I'm a firm believer. And once they're grown, they need to be gone. But 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 I believe that, you know, you know, when you got kids, you're supposed to take care of. Got you. So so um, you sped up a little bit into the future. Oh, I'm I'm a real I'm a real you back. So I I see that. So we grew up impoverished, but you were with your mom 
but not with your dad. Right. Um, I, the reason why I want to talk about this time is because these are 35 years I don't know about. Okay. And so when you're now growing up in this time, you're going to school. Uh, I understand you got your friend group and all this different stuff. You mentioned being young and dumb and all that stuff. Mm. I'm assuming at this time you're not, you haven't found God yet. Or have you, were you always in the church? Were you not always in the church? Was there always this underlying of Christianity that you were with? Was was there other things? Like, like where were you at in your faith walk at that point when you were maybe in middle school, going to high school? Well, I gave my, I, I remember distinctively, there was a church called uh, Bethlehem Holiness Church. It was on the corner. Actually, it was on the southeast corner of Fair Oaks and Howard Street in Pasadena, California. And I know you don't have no idea where that is. Yeah. But um, like I said, around 62 or whatever, when Kennedy got assassination, I remember I was living in this house on a street called El Sereno. And on that street, uh, I started going to that church. Me and Beverly went there. Now, I don't know how we did it because mama didn't go there and the other kids didn't go. I don't know if somebody uh, brought us here. Now, let me back up. When we were little kids, very young, mama used to take us to this church called Christ Temple. It was, it was on, in Pasadena on Pepper, Pepper Street and Lincoln Avenue. And But I was too young to understand anything theologically or anything. And then later on, uh, when I got a little older, she wasn't going, but we ended up going to that church. And I, I remember distinctively giving my life to the Lord then. How old were you then? I, I must have been about 12, 12 or 13, and, and that's where I got baptized. I always remember that crystal blue water in that baptismal. And now that I think about it, since I'm uh, older and a little bit more knowledgeable, since we're inside a building, it was probably a nice blue paint job on, on the baptismal. But I gave my life to the Lord then. It's just that a few circumstances happened. You know, at that particular church, um, we had a Sunday school teacher. And I don't want to hold it against the woman, excuse me. <sighs> But the truth is true. She wanted to win the offering banner every week. They used to have a banner. They get these banners. I don't know. It was a little thing they did. And so she said that you need to bring in 15 cents every Sunday. Now, for me, at that time in my life, 15 cents was a lot of money. You could buy a lot of stuff for 15 cents in those days. I know you can't buy a squat. I mean, you can go to the store and get all kinds of candy. But I made a decision. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, you know, but I'm going I'm to bring that 15 cent every Sunday. Um, and I, actually, at first, I think I resented it and I didn't go. And then I, I thought about it and I said, you know what? I want to go. And I said, I'm going to bring the 15 cent. And so when I came back that next time, <laughs> she said it was a quarter. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, and I never came back. <laughs> she, you know, she bitted you out of there. I was done. 
you know, for, for 10 cent. And, and from that point in my life, now I never stopped believing in God. I always believed that there was a God. And I believe that it was a God of the Bible. I, I always believed that. There's never been a time in my life when I didn't believe it. It was just that from that point on, up until almost in my early 30s, I, I, I walked away from him. I did not, I did not live for him at all. Did not even try to. I was, I was living for my flesh, for whatever was going to happen then. When you say like living for like living for your flesh, what do you mean? Like do you mean whatever it, it wanted and I can give it, that's what it got. Hmm. I I mean, I wasn't an athlete and that you know, I was always short and slow and I didn't have um money. I remember I tried to play little league as a little kid. <laughs> and like I said, the old man wasn't there for me. And he gave me some Salvation Army. It looked like a Babe Ruth mitt or something. I mean, a little fat mitt they used to have. Yeah. <laughs> and then, not only was it a fat mitt, but it was for a right-handed person. I'm left-handed. <laughs> so, here, so here I'm out there with these kids. You know, all of them, they got their, their nice mitts and their nice cleats and their, all this stuff. And I'm trying to catch this ball with one hand, throw the, take the glove off and throw it with the other. I mean, it was... It was it was humiliating, and I only took that. And I never, obviously, I couldn't learn, I couldn't achieve, I couldn't progress like that. So I, I just gave it all up. My sporting days were over. I mean, you know, and then kids are vicious. You know, they're gonna talk about you like a dog. So I caught more than my share. But you know, when I, I look at that now, and I'll just swing ahead and rolling back in. I look at the fact that when I was a kid, that I, there was times where I got insulted so much because I was so poor and didn't look as well as a lot of people, whatever, that I learned to love myself. And mm -hmm. you get to the point where you build um, a harder shell or, or, or your skin gets thick. And that's the only reason why, you know, now, you know, I can take the abuse or whatever from people and maybe god was preparing me uh to be able to take abuse so was, was abuse looking like was that like you getting jumped or was it all verbal abuse no, it was verbal was verbal yeah it was yeah it was it was verbal i mean you know you you got holes in your shoes or pants or different stuff and you know you know you only got a very limited supply or something i mean i remember you see like you guys I remember you guys growing up and you come on. He said, there ain't nothing in there to eat. And there was never, <laughs> and it was never not nothing in there to eat. It was just nothing in there you guys wanted to eat at the time. Yeah, that's what you used to say but too. I, used, I done walked in refrigerators when there was literally nothing. Yeah. You know? And so there's a big conceptual difference there. So like now you so with you going through that you got the abuse that was interesting what you said about maybe that time showed you how to love yourself because you had to go through that and, and it's all it's interesting that you gave your 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 life to Christ but then did you turn to Christ with the abuse or did you just say you know what I'm just gonna get hard 
No, I didn't turn to him until I got into my thirties. I got, I, I just got to the point where, um, I don't know if I want to say I got hard. Uh, if, if hard means that I got to the point where I didn't care what people thought, just like, for example, when I was younger, you know, you would see different levels of stages of life. Like we used to, as, as teenage young boys, we couldn't drive, so we'd walk to parties. And there was one, I remember there was a, like a group that used to have, you might not even know, but it was like a car called a Culver Mazda. It was a little, it was a little nice little car. So you got about they. I guess they had their little car club, and they had six or seven dudes, and they had their cars, and they metal flake paint jobs, and 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 different stuff. And then you got a bunch of folks with the, the cars with lifts and stuff. Now they weren't like these folks jumping off the moon, juicing, but they had their lifts and they was doing all their little stuff. And then I remember there was a little Volkswagen club, and people, you know, they they would trick out their cars and all this stuff. So we're walking. Well, by the time I was old, by the time I got my first job and I and I was old enough to buy my first car, I bought a 60 Chevy Impala. It was clean. I didn't I didn't do nothing with it. I didn't I didn't I didn't put no paint, special paint job. I didn't put any of that stuff on it. I just wanted I put me an eight track in there. I wanted some nice music. And see, my attitude was this by then. You know, because people thought, you know, you had a nice car, you're going to attract a girl. Well, my thing was, if a girl don't like my car, I don't need her. She don't like me, I don't need her. So this is where that, where, this is where that mindset came from. This is where. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That just helped me eliminate folks. You know, we don't have to play any of these games. You gonna like me for me, or I don't need you. Really? So you didn't never, you never felt the pressure. I want to go back, but you never felt the pressure of. I need to impress these people so that I can get, you know, a relationship with them or something else that you wanted. No. Interesting. Once I started making money, once I was able to start buying things that I couldn't get before, uh, I mean, I would try to dress nice. I wanted some decent clothes. I wanted to, even when I was running the streets and acting stupid, like when I decided I want to try to smoke because people were smoking, everybody was smoking cools, right? So I'm gonna at that point my mind said I'm gonna be different. So I was smoking Paul Mall Gold 100. I didn't want to be like nobody. I was gonna be me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so going back right, you, you before you got the car, mm -hmm. you, you you got these people that are uh, verbally abusing you, but you kind of figured out how to mentally handle that. Well, and I mean, go, everybody wouldn't verbally abuse me all the time. I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying yeah. you got the you got your you got your things right. You're not good in sports. You suck because you're yeah. fat and you're slow. I said I was Yo. short and slow. I didn't say I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. You're oh. short and slow, not fat. Right. All right. And then yeah. don't have the money and got this big glove. All these different things. Yeah. Okay. So, sometimes that can make a person want to try to get things themselves. Meaning, like, not do it the legal way. Did you ever think about, hey, I'm just gonna go the illegal route to go get the things that I want because I'm not getting it from home, or that never came across your mind, or like, were, were you ever in the frame of mind like, I gotta figure, I gotta do something different, and I'm gonna have to get it however it happens? No, I'm no, never thought about being a criminal. Now, <laughs> you maybe, you maybe thinking something else. Now, I was short and skinny, and, you know, you had some of the boys were bigger and muscular. When I was a little kid, they used to have, like, a uh, TV show. 
and I forgot that I think I don't know what it was called. It was the gladiators or what, but there was like this bodybuilder named Dave Draper. If you look him up, it's this big old white boy with blonde hair, and he'd be up to with these big biceps, and, and he would introduce these these uh muscle man movies. So it'd be Samson versus Goliath and Hercules Unchained and all that stuff. So I'm yeah. thinking, wow, you know, look at these dudes. So that's why I wanted to go get a, my first weight set. So I got a weight set. And but see, I didn't get steel bar bell bars. I, you know, I don't know why I got to what I got, but these bell bars, I mean, they were weights, but they were giant. They were they were plaster with plastic cover on them. I knew they were plastic because after a while when it broke and fell apart, I seen what it was. But the whole idea was, you know, I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get big, you know, I'm gonna get swole. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you start, you know, you start wearing shirts and a little tighter. Shorter, you know, you're trying to impress folks and stuff. So yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't trying to impress the girls. I mean, you know, it's, I, everybody had that little ego. Yeah. So, but you know, there were certain limitations that you, know, you couldn't do because based on your physical dynamics, just do what you could do. <laughs> Got you. That's funny. So so then so all right. So you didn't you didn't go you didn't go the criminal route. You eventually you said you were on the streets, but you eventually get a job. I'm assuming. Well, my first job was a paper boy. I had a I had a one day a week paper route, you know, which I didn't really do well. And then I had a weekly route. I mean, every day wild route. And I remember these little chihuahuas chasing me, uh, <laughs> trying to bite me. And you know, then after a while, my first job, I guess that was in high school. You know, as far as a a job working for a company. You know, I was a bus boy and a smorgage board. Yeah. You you told me that your dad had owned a TV repair shop. Yeah. Was that when you were younger or older? Well, he did fix TVs pretty much as long as he could work. Okay. So, so he, when I was a little kid, yeah. Yeah, he, he was fixing TVs or, yeah. And at that, did, did you ever have aspirations of doing the same thing he did, or owning your own business since you had your own paper route? Was that one of your things? Well, I mean, I, there were there was a time where I wanted to do what he did, but he didn't take care of business. He he unfortunately liked to chase women and drink, and he 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 wasn't business minded, and so then you know he didn't you know he could do the job. But sometimes he didn't do it well, and and you know you when you're in a black community, in a, in, a, in a in a town, or at least in those days, it was a very, I don't want to say segregated because I can't speak for that because I was a younger person, but I guess everybody put, pretty much knew everybody, and if if he did a poor job or something, then other it would spread, and sometimes it spread to school. <laughs> I yeah. hear about it, you know, so. So yeah, I, I you know I thought about it. If I would have learned that trade, I, I might have been able to morph into other things, and there could have been other dynamics. But since we didn't have that kind of relationship, and he didn't have that kind of business dynamic, nothing ever happened there. Interesting. Okay. And so then, so you kind of fell into. Would you say that your your career was was focused? Like you knew exactly what did you want, what you wanted to do, and how you wanted to do it, where you wanted to get there, or did you kind of just fall into what you ended up doing? I fell into everything I ended up doing. Got it. And then, 
and did school because then you got you now you're you went through middle school you didn't play really sports you go through high school mm. you graduate yeah was that why did you graduate was it an important thing to graduate was there friends graduating was was it because you know a lot of people don't graduate some people just fall out of school and say forget it well in those days you can get a decent job that'll take care of you for the rest of your life with a high school diploma a high school diploma actually meant something in those days like now um i just read and i think i did it on a podcast a couple of weeks ago where in oregon they're suspending any kind of exit exam and in california they made a law several years ago going back 10 years if you didn't complete your high school education you could still get a high school diploma yeah, and you know and it blows my mind because that makes it a worthless piece of paper and employers aren't stupid they're not going to sacrifice their finances to employ somebody that can't do the job so in in, in 1970 uh when you graduate from high school yeah you can get a job you know i i got a job working for actually a telephone company you know i had friends that worked for the post office worked for the gas company and those days you can get a job like that that you can work for 20 30 years get a retirement take care of you for the rest of your life were you worried because you got you know before you're here you got the 30s where you still got a lot of racism right a lot of segregation 40s is still around 50s now you're born 60s is some some maybe some civil rights stuff starting to happen and then now you're getting into the 70s where there's more civil rights stuff and then the affirmative act. Were you worried going through school that you weren't going to be able to get a job or you always knew that you'd be able to take care of yourself because the black community was more together? Like, like how, how did you know like that you were going to be able to find employment going through at that time when you knew that there was so, like racism and stuff at that time? Uh, or did you not think about that type of stuff? Well, in California, well... California is different than the South and in Pasadena. And I, I look, when I was in elementary school, I went to Washington Elementary and Washington Junior High. And in that environment, we had everybody. We had blacks, white, Hispanics. We had Asians. When I say Asians, we had people of Chinese ancestry, Japanese ancestry, Filipino ancestry. We had everything under the sun. And we all got along. Matter of fact, I still have friends in each one of those dynamics from elementary school. Uh. And then when I went to high school, we had three main high schools in Pasadena at the time. We had Blair, which was in the northwest section of Pasadena, Pasadena High School, which was in the eastern part of the city. And excuse me, we had Muir in the northwest section, Pasadena High School in the eastern part, and Blair in the southern part. Now, at the time, I live about six blocks from Muir. I could have walked to Muir, but they put in busing. And if I would have lived across the street from where I was living, I could have uh, walked to school and been in school every day. But since I lived where I lived, I was in Blair's district, and so they bust me. And it was actually a blessing in disguise uh, because I wanted to go to Muir. All the black folks who lived in the neighborhood went to Muir, I mean, in that area. Now, many black folks went to Pasadena High School, but it was a predominantly white school. But when, when I went to Blair, Blair became 
a conglomerate of, of, of groups just like it was at Washington. And there was, you know, the different racial stuff started breaking out at different times at, in the high schools. I mean, in, in the cities and stuff, and then the high schools would react. But I don't know what circumstance happened. But we had a principal at Blair called Samuel Swartz. This guy was great. And he was smart. And when all this racial crap broke out one day in the city or the country or whatever the heck it was, I don't know what it was. We didn't have we didn't have an auditorium at Blair. We had an amphitheater. So instead of making us go to class and dealing with that, he let us all go to the amphitheater and air out whatever was on our mind. Really? Yeah. Like a like a like an open dialogue. Like yeah, he just let us go there and do what we wanted, you know, just talk it out. We ended up organizing some kind of way and making buttons that uh, you know that we were all gonna stick together. And hold where on, hold on. Were, so are you saying that the African Americans did this, or this is everybody? Everybody. At Blair, I'm talking about everybody. Wow. You know, this was the see where they were going through crap at Muir and they were going through crap at PHS at Blair. We stuck together, everybody. Wow. I'm gonna tell you how great of a of a of a principal I thought Samuel Swartz was. Uh, you know, you, you you've been to pet rallies, you you didn't you know what that's like in high school. Yeah. I I mean, look at me. I'm 70, almost 71 years old. I still remember this. We had a pep rally and we had a great football team. You know, in 1970, Blair won the CIF championship. We went undefeated. Throw that in <laughs> you, had to, podcast. you had to add that in there. Oh, yeah, I throw that in there. <laughs> so I don't know if that was that year or the year before what. But you know, they had to pay we had the pep rally in the gym, and everybody, you know, rah rah, sis boom bah, RT. And they were saying, This week we got a secret weapon. Everybody said, Yeah, what's that? What's that? Next thing you know, boom, here come Mr. Swartz running out in the gym in pads. <laughs> <laughs> The place went crazy. <laughs> the place went nuts. I wow. mean, I said, this dude come out there and pass like he go do something. You, you know, he ain't gonna do nothing, but right. It, it, it just shows you the character of the man. He was, he was, he was a sympathetic. He was smart. And when I got older, I realized he had an assistant principal named Mr. Crawl, and Mr. Crawl was the enforcer, the bad guy. Oh, so is I that said. Right? So I said, oh, so he's, he, yeah, Mr. Swartz knows what he's doing. He's smart. You know, if something dirty got to happen, put it on crawl. Let the right. kids love him. Right, right. That's that, you know, when you said put them all in the amphitheater and have them hash it out, I couldn't see that happening today. No. No, I don't, I, I was, it would be a full on riot because nobody's going to be willing to listen to anybody. There's no more discord and debate. It's either you're right. Or you, and you're with me, or you're wrong, and you're with them, and uh, and, it's, and it causes this dissension and this ripping of you know ripping apart of everything. Yeah. But to see that a principal was able to get everybody in one spot, and you guys got to have open dialogue that all that ended up unifying the whole school. Oh yeah, we, then, we yeah we 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 did not riot. We did not walk off the campus. We did not act stupid. We hung in there. That it. it it's, we got unified. Yeah, that's I like. We that. got that's unified. A, that's good. Okay, yeah. so you weren't so so then. All right. Well, now 
you you graduate, you mm. graduate, and now you're in the working world. Mm. What is the biggest difference that you see between you being inside the home with your with your mom, and then you all of a sudden being thrusted into the working world and becoming more of a man? Like, what is the difference that you're seeing between that and and now where you're in the world now? You're talking about when I moved out, starting to move out. Yeah, what what age did you move out? Ah, probably about, I don't know, 18, 19. I could eat what I want when I got ready. So was it like a big freedom? Were you excited? Was it like, yeah, I'm, this is me? Or was it more of like, oh man, I wish, I don't know nothing. It's, it's scary. Oh no, I was, I was, well, I didn't know nothing, but I was excited. Yeah, it was me. And by this time, did you already think about politics? Were you were you were you already thinking about oh, you know, this is the Democratic side, that's the Republican side, they're racist, I'm not. Were you already in that mix, or at this time you didn't care less? I didn't know a thing about politics then. So were you a indoctrinated Democrat already? Were you well, all like? It was how the, did that how did that part come about? It was the assumption. That if you were black, you're a Democrat. Why is that? That's a good question. That, I mean, it, it was just, it, we didn't even talk about it. Well, Mama, uh, as far as I knew, and the old man, they never discussed politics, whether it was with them or away from them. I remember, I remember when Kennedy died, Mama cried. But then, you know, I guess you could cry if any president die. I mean, you know, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. But uh, my sister, Dee Dee, was named after Jacqueline Onassis or, or Jacqueline Kennedy at the time. You oh, know, that's that right? what, yeah. But see, the black community, as I understood it, or, and I can't say when, but it was just, it was just for some reason, and I and I can't put my finger on it. If you're black, you're a Democrat. And I can't even say when, it, when whenever I started understanding a little bit about politics or whatever, the more I found out, the more if you're black, you're Democrat. You know, and then I would hear people say, You vote the straight democratic line. And it was just a it was just a this is what you do. Was there people that you led looked up to, mentors, figureheads? You know, what was it? Was it were you ever looking up towards, you know, Malcolm X or Martin Luther Kings or some of these other reverends like Jesse Jackson? Was you ever looking up towards these people as as a navigational system when you were in your twenties? In my twenties, or I know I know that other people had already been assassinated, or some people had already had died. But like by the time you got into your twenties, who were you looking at as like? Hey, I, I want to follow in this line. Or was it more of you weren't even thinking of that? You were thinking of the streets. Probably Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> who was who was Rudy Ray Moore? <laughs> oh man. Was that a whole nother <laughs> thing? Oh, uh, anybody here is they know <laughs> you know Dolomite. Oh, good night. You know that that guy said his name is Dolomite. Yeah, that was Rudy Ray Moore. I, I wasn't thinking about nothing of any intrinsic value. I didn't have any political aspirations or or thoughts. I mean, as far as Malcolm X is concerned, 
when I was in junior high school, I was supposed to read Uncle Tom's Cabin, you know, and, uh, you know, I was supposed to read Uncle Tom's Cabin, but um, I refused to read it at that time because um, um, I thought, it was, you know, Uncle Tom, you know, and so, but I had a smart teacher. She didn't care about what I read. She just wanted me to read something. So I said, I'm going to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. So she said, okay. So I read some of it. I didn't read the whole thing, uh -huh. you know. But I didn't have any political aspirations or any political people that I cared about or thought about or anything. I didn't even understand politics in my 20s. I think the first inclination, well, I might have still been in my 20s then. Yeah, probably was. The first political stuff that I started understanding was when Jimmy Carter was president. And that was toward the later part of my 20s. So this is, so this is, it was more, so by the time you got to your 30s is when that stuff started to seem, started to become important to you. Well, what became, it started becoming important to me when I knew I had to get back to God.